Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 56. Meet the hosts. So the Sonics Flight Podcast is coming up on its third anniversary, and it's probably way past time that we formally introduce ourselves. So we're going to talk a little bit about our aviation backgrounds. We're going to share some stories that brought us together starting the podcast, and then maybe look to some goals and objectives and the future that we have in mind for the podcast going forward. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonics 1374. Joining me once again are my two good buddies, John Gillis and Gary Motley. And let me just pause there for a second. So I introduced these guys at the start of every episode, but now let's really talk about who they are. And don't worry, I'll take my turn as well and let them ask me some questions and we'll tell you a little bit more about my background too. So with that kind of opening, guys, here's how I'd like to maybe do this. So we'll go through a little bit at a time. We'll talk about our aviation backgrounds. Then we'll talk a little bit about our projects, our builds, uh, coming into the Sonics builder community and flying and all that. Once we're done with the the, uh, the building experience, we'll talk more about the podcast, and then we'll wrap it up with a look ahead. So if that sounds good to you guys, let's, uh, let's kick this thing off. Let's give it a try. All right. So, uh, Gary, uh, before we start off here... Um, I heard that you were doing some magnificent flying over the weekend. I, I want to hear about it. Uh, it was a spectacular weekend here in Colorado. Um, it, it was it was in the high high fifties, almost seventy degrees at points. Uh, just light, fluffy, uh, benign cumulus clouds, and almost unlimited visibility. Uh, winds were only about uh, ten miles an hour or so at altitude, <clears throat> and of course, my altitude I'm talking about so. About fourteen thousand feet or so. Um, so I had two good buddies of mine. Uh, both are pilots, and, and both generally have planes, um, but they were temporarily between planes at the moment. Uh, one of them got a really good deal in his planes out in either Oregon or Washington. I can't remember fit which, being fitted with a Garmin G five and autopilot and other goodies, uh, because Garmin needed a test bed in order to get certified, so they can get the STC from the FAA to uh, start, you know delivering these units to other people with a similar aircraft. Another buddy of mine uh, just sold my Sonics that he had bought from me, and he's waiting for an aero truck to come in from Czechoslovakia. It'll be another couple of months before that comes in. No kidding. He sold that, the one you had. Now he's getting another. Uh, he, he did, and he sold it in less than about 24 hours when he put when he posted it. Wow. He said it was a goner, like instantly. And that kind of blew, that kind of bummed him out because he was expecting it was going to take a while. And now all of a sudden he doesn't have a plane. Uh, so uh, my my Sonics now, uh, that was Brad Sonics, is now Bob Sonics, I think is his name, is down on Las Cruces, New Mexico. Um, so I'm not sure when I'll be able to get a chance to see that one again. I'll miss flying it. It was always a hoot and a fun thing to fly. Ha- the Hound Dog has moved to New Mexico. Hound Dog is, yep, yeah, is down sniffing new territory. That's right. It's always on the prowl, so just watch out. Yes, yes. At, le- at least it makes me proud in that respect. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Uh, so what was the total uh, flight time that you did when you were out? 
Well, between the two days, it was, it was like technically like 9.64 hours or something like that. Uh, you know, I was peeling out there in the mountains up around uh, Continental Divides, back over most of the ski resorts in Colorado, um, where the snow-capped mountains are. I was easily hitting about 14,000 feet density altitude, and it's, it's a struggle at that point. I always have to look for orographic lifting uh, in order to get over those. And despite having an average day, which is about, you know, if I get a good 10 knots of wind, I can usually do really well about finding lift. Uh, but, John, I got to say, it was just dirt flat trying to find lift going towards the west. Uh, All right, I don't want to steal from your, from your little talk about Saturday, but I took off in an ASK-21 with, uh-huh. you know, I was being towed. I got towed up to about 9,500 feet, which is about 2,000 feet AGL. And uh, we took it up to 16,000 feet in thermaling. And then I went over the mountains and uh, I had to deploy the, the spoilers to stay below the 18,000 foot uh, ceiling. So I don't know what your problem was with your little Zenith. Maybe it's not a very good, uh, you know, lifting aircraft. Well, I don't know about that. You know, where I'm up here, it's, it's not uncommon at all. I've got actually a cut through a call of flat irons, which is along the front range of, of our airport. And my uh, airport, Rocky Mountain Metro, KBJC, is lined up with a little cut there. And there also happens, as I mentioned before, to be the National Wind Research Facility out towards that cut, which I found interesting when I was flying my tail dragger mall. Um, but anyway, we can have variances between Metro Airport and, say, for example, Boulder Community Airport uh, in Boulder, Colorado, where CU is. And, you know, geographically, we're only talking about 10 miles away, uh, but it can be howling at one place and absolutely calm at the next place. Uh, vice versa, it doesn't make a difference. It can be, you know, howling at Metro and calm at Boulder or the other way around. And there's a big uh, soaring club there at Boulder usually as well. So I don't know. It all depends like mountain flying. You know, there's many days that I can, you know, I want to go flying, but I get out there and it doesn't work out so well. It's always kind of a hit and miss thing, but it's always great. Like I said, the visibility was outstanding. It was basically crystal blue skies and, and lots of snow capped mountains. So it was gorgeous. Good. Sound, sounds great. So I, I, I think that when, uh, I was out flying the same day that, uh, that Gary was, but I'm, I'm a little further east and a little further south. And like I said, we, we popped off toe at uh, just under 10,000 feet, climbed up to 16,000. That was about all the, uh, the thermals were going to give us. But we were flying between Virga on the clouds. And when we finally touched one of the clouds, it was all snow, it was, which was the first time I've ever experienced snow Virga um, in a glider. And it was, it was quite, uh, quite uh, almost distressing. It said, you know, could we be icing up here, you know, in a glider? I don't know. I've never heard that. But, you know, it was clear air. So we, uh, you know, we, we zipped around and uh, had, a, had a great time and then, uh, you know, came back after an hour and 40 minutes of uh, soaring time, uh, ready to, to use the restroom because we didn't have any uh, pilot relief tubes. But we did have oxygen, so. We were uh, we were okay with that legally. Well, that's good. Yeah, but each day I burn an absolutely full tank of fuel, so uh, yeah, I got I got a pretty good fix in. <laughs> well, I got some flying in on Saturday myself. It was a pancake breakfast at a local airport, so Isaac and I flew over, had breakfast, met up with several of the other Sonics guys in Kansas City, and then uh, we all flew some Young Eagles. 
Uh, I got a chance to fly with Bob Micah. So shout out to Bob. He uh, took off in front of me and I took off right behind him uh, as a flight of two. And then I sucked up close on his wing and and uh, spent the whole time looking at his young eagle passenger just grinning out the side at me until Bob chickened out and said, uh, hey, Jeff, uh, you know, we're not supposed to do formation on young eagle flights. And so I had to peel off and leave. But we had a good time. <laughs> it was good. It was a great day. Just absolutely gorgeous. Just light winds and sunny and just wonderful. Yeah. Overall, it was a great weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Even Carl Benda had a good weekend. He uh, did a flyby at our airport uh, with the two Nanchangs, um, you know, him and one and, and a buddy and another in formation doing a low pass on our airport, which is always a, a crowd pleaser. Mm, cool. All right, guys. Well, let's uh, let's jump into some of these things. So, um, John, why don't you start us off? So, again, let's talk about aviation background and just whatever you want to share. And then we'll kind of take that to the point that we start talking about Sonics projects. So you go, Gary, I'll kick it over to you and then we'll move on to the next one. Well, you know, my aviation interest uh, began in high school. Um, I always enjoyed aviation. I, I really, um, my, my dad was a butcher at a, uh, a big, uh, uh, retail, uh, grocery chain. My mom was a nurse. So I didn't have any background that my dad was, you know, a pilot in the, in the army or anything. Um, and I just always had this interest in aviation. So in high school, I built model airplanes. I built uh, radio controlled gold gliders because I didn't have any money. So the gliders were the way to go because all you had to do was buy the Balsa kit, you know, a cheap two channel radio and uh, a couple of servos and then throw it off the edge of a cliff. And, you know, hopefully you, you bring it back. If you don't, well, then you just got another project to repair it. Um, kind of followed that path all through college. Uh, just kind of, you know, building and, and flying gliders um, when I got out of school and, and actually started getting some money, um, I got into uh, powered um, RC. So, you know, the gasser, you know, 40, you know, sized uh, RC aircraft um, with four channels, um, you know, doing some aerobatics, starting to get into that. And then helicopters are always an interest to me because I just love the way that uh, there, there are just so many parts, and how do these things fly? And I got into RC helicopters. And this was back before drones, you know, so you had to actually fly these things. When they were constantly trying um, to destroy themselves. Oh, they're, yeah, and they did. Um, you know, you basically get about four flights in before you had to do some major repair. Right. Um, but, uh, and it was expensive, and it's definitely, you know, not something that I'd recommend anybody to go do anymore. And then, uh, you know, about that time, you know, I'm raising a family. Uh, so, you know, finances get channeled towards education of your kids and, and you're focused on your career and all this. And, but I was still trying to fly as much as I could. And the park flyers are starting to come in. So I was buying these foamies and I would take them out. And I just, I don't care if I got 10 flights out of one. If it crashed, I'd take the engine or the motor in the, servos out and throwing another foamy and then we just go hang out um but uh what happened was my wife at that time was going 
she decided she needed to go get her uh, postdoctorate degree in physical therapy and spent two years, and I had to kind of deal with the kids during her whole education on that. She graduated, got her her, uh, DPT, and then turned to me and said, you need to go do something more than what you're doing. And I said, well, I could go get an advanced degree, but I'd really like to get my pilot's license. And uh, she's, she supported it. And so I put aside, you know, uh, I'd been putting aside money and I said, I'm going to go get my, uh, my private pilot's license. This is when I was about 45 years old um, and joined a flying club in, in uh, Denver, Colorado, and said, I'm going to do this in three months. I, I always set goals to, you know, pretty aggressive goals to get things done. And my flight instructor said, yeah, we can do this if you're willing to, to put the work in. And every weekend and, and a lot of the weekdays, we went out flying almost every day. And I got my private pilot's license uh, right at about 65 hours of flight time in about three months. And um, the next step was, you know, you now need to do something with this. And I've always thought about uh, experimental stuff because I always like to work on stuff but I didn't know and a friend of mine who had built an RV6 and an RV7 had told me go buy a Cessna 150 and put 100 hours on it and that'll tell you whether you really like flying or not and it'll also teach you how to fly the airplane you know an underpowered aircraft general aviation aircraft so what I did was I went and found a Cessna 150. I bought it for about $18,000. And I put it in the club as a lease back, and it actually started making money. But I was able to fly it as much as I wanted to, so I was flying it for basically free. Put 100 hours on it. Really enjoyed it. That same buddy who told me to do this, he goes, well, you know, Oshkosh is coming up. Do you want to fly back in my RV7? into Oshkosh. And this was Sloshkosh. It was, I think it was 2010. And I said, Oh yeah, yeah, I'm on. So we, uh, we arranged, we launched, we flew out to uh, Oshkosh into that mess. That was the, the soupy kitchen that, uh, that year was. And I was absolutely enamored with the entire approach um, you know, I'm sitting shotgun in an RV7. We're flying into Oshkosh with the big beehive of airplanes coming in, um, camping on the field. And it was just a huge eye-opener to me to a- experimental aviation. Well, at that time, I still had my Cessna 150. I ended up walking past Sonics and going, wow, that is not a really pretty plane, but I like its simplicity. And I like the cost and I like the, the, you know, basically the design and the mission for this thing. Started talking to Jeremy at the time. I said, you know, what do I do to go and get in, into this? They were announcing the turbo, which was like, oh, that's a really cool solution. They were toying with the 1X at the time. So they got my attention because the RV was basically way out of my price line. I didn't want to get into another $50,000, $60,000 airplane. Zenith was there, but their designs just didn't intrigue me. Um, you know, the, I, there was basically just the Sonics. 
And so I came back from Oshkosh with a head full of uh, ideas, decided I needed to get rid of my 150. So I looked on Barnstormers, found a Sonics Wax kit that a guy was abandoning. And I called him up and I said, hey, uh, what do you think? And he goes, I'm looking for a 150 because I want to train my daughter on how to fly. And I can't do this in this kit that I have in my hangar. And I uh, did a little horse trading and drove. I flew the 150 down to Dallas, Texas, or outside of uh, actually uh, uh, Tyler, Texas, and traded him my 150 for that kit, rented a U-Haul there, and drove it back. And that's what I have is that kit. And I ended up finishing it up, getting it flying, and this is where I am. Yeah, it's funny. You talked about seeing the Sonics at, at Oshkosh. I think a lot of us go through the same type of thing. You know, we, we have this idea of a mission in our head, but a big part of that mission is it's got to be affordable, economical. We're all on a relatively limited budget, um, you know, and the RVs are wonderful airplanes, but, you know, they're out of a lot of our price range. And so I had the same type of thing. I was looking at prices well south of RV land. And I saw the Sonics, and the look kind of put me off a little bit. And I just sort of mentally said, yeah, that would be about the right, you know, the right type of airplane and all that. But I can't get over the looks. And so I kept looking. And it took me a while to kind of make the entire round of all the options. And as I learned more about the Sonics, I became more and more intrigued and and, uh, developed an appreciation for the things it does really well. And eventually, I, I found myself right back at Sonics booth going, okay, let's really talk. Jeff, what year was that? The well, th- that didn't all happen at one Oshkosh. The first time I saw it was in two thousand, Oshkosh two thousand, and it was they they only had the one airplane flying, and they had a a partially complete fuselage with a banner hanging on the fuselage that said "Build and fly this <laughs> airplane for sixteen thousand dollars" or something like that. And I looked at my brother and I said, sixteen thousand bucks? It looks like crap. I don't want to buy that for for sixteen bucks." And we kept going, and that's about as much as it as it you know as I considered it. And it was a year or two later when I came back that that I was there really shopping, like really shopping. And uh, I was unfortunately striking off potential candidates off of my candidate list as um, as cool airplanes, but just more than I wanted to spend. And about 2002, 2003 is when I kind of started really focusing on the Sonics. And it was in 2005 that I bought the kit. You know, what What hit me was I was down to the Zenith uh, 650. I wanted a low wing. I don't know why now I really wanted a low wing, but I thought it looked sexier than the high wing. Um, so I, I wanted a low wing light sport. My son has uh, type 1 diabetes, and I had this envision that he's going to fly this plane, and so he needs to be able to be sport pilot. The plane needs to be sport pilot ready. Um, I didn't need it, but he did. And so I had the Zenith 650 and the RV-12 and the Sonics were the finalists on this. The RV-12 was thrown out because you were looking at 60-some thousand dollars to finish this thing. Well, my wife would never support a $60,000 toy. Uh, The Zenith was there. It It was like, yeah, this is really cool. But you know what really got me on that? It's not aerobatic, and I wanted to be able to do aerobatics, even if I don't do them. I want to be able to. Right. And the Sonics just looked 
stouter. And it was like, this is really the plane. And I can get over the looks. And I've learned to love the looks. I think that it's a good-looking plane now. Yeah. Yeah, it's grown on me, too. I think it grows on everybody. Well, cool. Uh, Gary, um, so your turn. Tell us about your background. And I know there's a lot to cover, so... Well, unfortunately, I think I'm the oldest of the group, so yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, you got like 25 years on us. Yeah, something like that. You bite me. Anyway, uh, like most of us, you know, I was always intrigued with aviation, you know, and back in middle school or something, I think I was started off doing the STs rockets, and I think, Jeff, you did those as well. Uh, ended up doing uh, line-controlled gas-powered. Uh, John, for me, the the... the the remote controls were out of my price range. I was pretty industrious back then. I not only had one afternoon paper route, the, the regional carrier guy manager liked me so much. And when I was efficient, I actually ended up with four of those trying to support my habits. You know, throwing slinging papers off of my motorcycle tank, uh, trying to scarf up money for stuff. Um, kind of did that usual stuff, you know, when I was graduating, becoming a professional pilot, airline pilot. And uh, took the Air Force ROTC exams and all that stuff and was on a waiting list for that. And I think that was one of the first years they really started laying off all the airline pilots. They were going through slumps after deregulation or something along those lines. And I got kind of nervous. And so I kind of put aviation a little bit on the backside. Uh, ended up going into the medical field, became a, a registered nurse and was working uh, ER and actually doing. A, we started a helicopter life life service that I was on the ground floor of that in Jacksonville, Florida. <clears throat> I, Dad showed me this article about a hospital in South Florida uh, was in desperate need of looking for for nurses and particularly ER nurses and uh, offering them pretty incredible salaries back then. So I spoke to him on the phone a little bit, told him about me, and they wanted to meet me. And my brother had just gotten his private pilot's license, so he rented a Cherokee, flew us down there for the day. I did my interview and so forth, and tour of the hospital. Uh, said we shook hands. Said I'll be back in two weeks. He flew me back home, and you know I started the process then of you know changing jobs and moving and everything else. And I looked at that, and, and the utility value of it just floored me. And I said, you know, this is something I have to do, even if I have to do it on my own. Ended up buying a, a used ultralight called a Rotec, uh, Rotec ultralight. Lots of wires and strut, you know, cable braced wings, high and low, kingpins and all that kind of stuff. Had a, a Rotax 503 on it, and I started playing with that, trying to get it together and base it at my airport. And started having, even though it was in numbered, I started having fights with the airport manager because, of course, he didn't want an ultralight on there. But, of course, being in numbered in a two-seater, it is not an ultralight. It's an aircraft. And so that was my first foray is learning how to, you know, deal with the FAA and fight airport managers to be able to fly. And we didn't have to have an air uh, pilot's license back then, but I was thinking, yeah, this probably really isn't such a good idea for me to try to take this thing up. And I started uh, taking regular private pilot license, uh, lessons and start off in a Tomahawk and uh, ended up really quickly switching over to a Cessna 150. Got my private pilot's license and thought, well, you know, maybe the, the ultralight isn't quite what I'm looking for. Sold that. And I got really, really lucky. Uh, and I got my private license and I was about 29. So a little bit of a late bloomer for, for a lot of people. You know, I hear about these 14-year-olds that you were just mentioning flying. I wish I'd had that opportunity. But it was about 29 when I got my first pilot's license. Uh, working in an ER, I just happened to meet this doctor. And uh, he said he had a Skyhawk, but he doesn't fly. 
and it was based in my airport. And I, I started kind of weaseling with him with for a while. I said, hey, you know, dude, if, you know, you can give me access to the plane, you know, I'll start helping and pay, you know, for the tie downs and the annual maintenance and so forth and give you so much per hour, you know, if it's excess for what we call for the cost of maintaining the plane. And he said, good deal. And that was a great opportunity, man. I had that thing that basically had keys to it. I was the only one flying it. And that probably got me through about two and a half years or so. And I flew that puppy everywhere, all up and down the eastern seaboard, New York, over to the Bahamas, you know, everywhere I could think to get that thing going. And that was some great flying. That was basically running me about 20 bucks an hour, if you can believe it. It was incredible. Uh, started after that, and then I was really getting hooked. Uh, so I needed still something to support my habit because it's still expensive habit. Uh, so I went and got my first CFI and then I got my double I and then my MEI and, and just started teaching, you know, and prostituting myself as a flight instructor to try to feed the habit. Uh, probably put about 800 hours or so, you know, tooling around the patterns and these 152s. And I actually got to say, I really like those little planes. They were just a joy to fly. They really are. Um, ended up moving from Florida uh, to Colorado to motorhome. I had just had enough of the, the Florida weather. It was too flat, too humid, too buggy, and just needed to get out of there to get some scenery. Ended up in Colorado, which I really liked. Uh, shortly after I got here, um, Mall Aircraft had made news in AOPA and other places. They were running a special deal for 10 units where they had drastically cut the price. Uh, they did that. They've done it before and they did it again. Kind of a advertising pr promo because everyone picked it up on all the journals and everything. And so I like read up on it real quickly. Never seen one, never flown one. But I called them the next day and said, where can I send a deposit? And had myself a custom-built mall, which was a great plane. Picked that up down in Moultrie, Georgia. Um, another hot, humid, flat place. But anyway, it was a pretty cool experience. Uh, flew that out here. Flew that for about nine years, over 900 hours in that. Uh, that was coast and coast as well. Uh, going up into the, the Idaho backcountry and the mountain strips and things of that nature, which I really, really enjoyed. It was a lot of fun. But wasn't really doing any teaching after I got back out of here. Did a little bit when I got involved with the Civil Air Patrol for a few years, um, but basically ended up in my CFI lapsed by a couple of days and couldn't get it renewed. That's the way the FAA was. So I just kind of lapsed and I was had my own plan at that time. So I didn't really need to, to teach so much to support the habit. Um, sold them all, uh, like I said, after about nine and a half years or so. And I've always been kind of intrigued about the thought of building. And kind of like you, Jeff, I was out seriously looking for something in about 2007 at an Oshkosh. And I was originally looking at the RANS. I was looking at something really, I thought, dirt simple that I could do because, you know, you always get kind of intimidated when you think about building an airplane and you tell people you want to build an airplane. They always look at you like you're crazy. And the RANS had one, which is tube and fabric. And actually the fabric is pre-sewn uh, Dacron skins that you just kind of slide on and zipper them up if you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, but that was a pretty pricey airplane that was still going to hit me 40,000 plus. I thought by the time I got there, but that was the reason I went to Oshkosh in 2007 was to specifically look at the Rands. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, I agreed a lot of the other ones were just getting too pricey for me. And even at 40,000, yeah, that was going to be a little bit of a stretch. I thought at the time, but anyway, went out there, started looking around and kind of like you, 
I was walking down the line and I saw this ugly looking little plane there and they had their big, you know, price tag billboards out there with how much they, you know, ready to, you know, cost to build and fly. And, you know, you, you put the brakes on and you turn your head when you see those big old advertising signs with that kind of numbers on there at the time. Went over there and started talking to them about how it's done, how it self jigs, you know, about being able to, you know, describe lines on the middle of the rib flanges and just line them up with the holes that are already pre-drilled in the skins and just, you know, ribbit and clico it and basically call it good. Uh, we all know there's a little bit more to it than that, but that was a simple, the general idea that didn't require any special fancy jigs. Uh, to be done basically on a flat table. And John, just like you, the hooker was, it's positive G aerobatics. And you just start having these mental images of you just kind of like flipping around the air. And that was going to give me a, a new spectrum that I had not had a lot of experience with. I'd done a little bit of pits work down in uh, South Florida. And that was just a hoot. But of course, you know, pits were a little bit out of my price range as well. And so here was Gary, the. The aerobatics yes. and the sonics is not it's, – it's not false. You can do about as much as you want to do in the in the sonics. That it, it, It's going to do more than what you can do as a pilot. No, no, not for me, John. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's <laughs> well, still a very I don't want to fly airplane. with you in aerobatics, okay. <laughs> no, anyway, but it was – you know, it gave me the, the thought that, man, that would give me a whole new spectrum. You know, like I said, I'd done the Skyhawk and all the Cessnas and – put enough hours in those and really didn't like the way they flow. You know, when you get to the bigger ones, they just weren't much for joy. Really loved them all. It was a hauler. It was a tail dragger. Um, but, you know, now that I've done, you know, those two spectrums and I look at that, I can do a little bit of light aerobatics um, and, and the price point on it. And the fact that, you know, you can build, a, you know, the aero engine and you can service the parts and get them locally um, just pretty much cinched the deal. Uh, so as soon as I got back from from Oshkosh in 2007, I started wheezing and, and conniving and scheming so I could start sending them deposit checks and get my name on the list. And that's how I ended up doing my Sonics. Hmm. Well, I'll just kind of go in reverse order here. Um, so I, I talked about starting my project in about 2005. It might have been 2006 time frame. Um, but at the time, I had been flying in military flight clubs, uh, flying, you know, rental Cessnas. And um, I had a Minimax that I had picked up as a project. And I made some modifications and got it flying again. And uh, I've been flying that. And I really enjoyed flying the Minimax. It kind of has that little fighter airplane feel. You sit right on the center line. You've, I had a little sliding canopy that I made for it. It just felt cool and maneuverable and all that. Except it wasn't rated for anything except basically straight and level flight. Wonderful little airplane, fairly responsive, but it felt like you wanted just to get out there and maneuver it and yank and bank. And that was going to get you in trouble if you did that. And so that really is what set me. Because before the Minimax, I had been thinking Kit Fox and um, Kolb and, and other things like that. Kind of light airplane, uh, you know, large ultralightish type, you know, designs. And that's where my interest lied. And after that, after the Minimax, I really wanted a low wing. I wanted something sporty and I wanted aerobatic so that if I if I went in there and yanked it around a little bit, I wasn't going to have to worry about breaking anything. And that really focused down the number to just a handful. So that's how I ended up ultimately. But uh, Pretty simple for all three of us. Then. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, 
so for me growing up, my dad was a pilot. He flew recreationally just as a, as a private pilot. And then he went and got his instrument and commercial and multi-engine. And we just, we flew all over just having fun. So we went camping and we went to air shows in in California and we just did fun stuff flying on the coast. So that's how I grew up. And I I really just enjoyed and loved flying. And I was positive that I was going to do that, you know, in some way. Uh, but I didn't really have a, a strong desire to go be an airline pilot. I would have really enjoyed, I think, going into the military and flying in the military. But I wear glasses, and at the time, it just seemed like a, a bridge too far. I was not going to get picked up by any of the military services as a pilot. I could probably get recruited successfully, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be flying. I'd be some other peripheral task, and I didn't really want to do that. So at that point, once I came to the conclusion that I wasn't going to fly for the military. I didn't want to fly as an, as an airliner. So I thought, well, I do like engineering and design and things like that. So I'll go, I'll go to school and I'll study engineering. And so that's what I did. I, I, uh, I went and I got a degree in engineering and I did army ROTC while I was in school. Uh, I had been interested in the military all the time growing up. Uh, my dad did some military time and my brothers were in military. And my grandfather was, um, he was an aircraft mechanic, uh, in Hawaii and so I kind of had a a family history of at least some military service, and so that was on my mind. Um, but I uh, I just continued to fly all through through college. Um, I had done my training in high school and soloed when I was sixteen, and got my license when I was seventeen, and flying with my dad, and we belonged to a flight club there in Sacramento. And uh, took a bit of a slowdown once I hit college because I really focused on on uh, not getting kicked out of school. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then I started flying again once I got to my first military duty station. But I realized, man, I, if I'm going to have to rent an airplane, even if it's relatively affordable, you know, per hour, it's just, you know, the, the budget only goes so far. And the out-of-pocket cost to go fly for a couple hours uh, was higher than I wanted. And so I thought, well, I'd, I'd rather have something that I had easy, cheap flying. Yeah, it's going to cost me, you know, on the front end. But when I get ready to, you know, go fill the tank up and go fly for an hour, it's only going to cost me a little bit rather than paying that $100, you know, per hour rental fee. So that's what really got me thinking about experimentals as a, as a way to do that. I had seen them growing up. I, I really wanted to build a plane with my dad growing up. And, and it wasn't until I had actually gone off to college that he built his Challenger, and and um, so I really kind of settled on on that was the path forward for me was experimental aviation. So, um, all those typical aviation background things, I, I did them all if I, if I could. I I flew stick and tissue models as a kid, and and just you know hand launch gliders. And then that got me into simple radio control when I was in, in uh, junior high and high school. And that got into more progressively complicated four-channel gas-powered radio control airplanes and did that. And I still fly radio control airplanes. Love doing that. Flew rockets. Flew just about anything. And uh, just can't get enough of it. Really enjoy it. Um, I, I am a, I'm a private pilot. I have my glider rating. And I have thought about doing other stuff to continue in the formal side of aviation, but I just, I love going out for an hour or two on a Saturday and flying around the local area and shooting some approaches and taking somebody flying. And for me, that's, that's the sweet spot. That's right where I want to be. So that's the kind of flying I'd, I'd love to do. And I think the Sonics is a good match for that. 
Well, Jeff, we got to work you up to the five-hour-a-day limit, though. Yeah, you know, I every time I do that, I it's about two hours in the air, and I'm thinking, I'm getting kind of tired. It's probably time to head on back to the house. I think, what would Gary do? And I think Gary would just be getting going. Gary would be, you know, yeah. he'd be going for another two hours. And then I just hang my head, and I skulk back to the airport and, and put my plane away because I just can't do it. I, I, I yeah. can't work it up. Yeah. Gary pulls back the throttle, so he's only burning about three gallons an hour, and he goes, I can make this typically four-hour trek an eight-hour trek. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, flying is flying is flying. Why do you always have to be in a hurry to get somewhere? I'm kind and of- you're generally doing it right above the buzzards off of the, uh, the, the power poles. Yep, yep. I like, you know, I, I like I said, I started off, I thought I was going to do the ultralight thing. It didn't actually do it, but I started to like flying at ultralight levels. Yeah, I do too. Um, you have a little bit better opportunity out there. Around here, there's not a lot of flat, free, open area. You get more into Kansas that you start finding some of that stuff. But around here in Missouri, uh, there's uh, there's not a good opportunity to do any real low-level work out here. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah, it kind of is. All right. So we talked about. We need to get you back out to uh, Springs East. Yes. Where, uh, you know, you could uh, buzz a Barbara fence and still be well within the uh, FAA regulations. There, there was a great place that I would go kind of north and east of Kelly. And uh, there's like some ranch land out there. There's a little creek that kind of winds through. And you could fly for a half hour and never see a building or a person out there. Just right on the deck. It was great. That was some good flying. I, I do miss it. All right. So let's uh, let's briefly just catch everybody up on our particular Sonics project. So, Gary, I'll start with you. But let's go with, you know, what, what did you build, like, configuration-wise, engine configuration, all that. And then uh, just kind of tell us what your favorite things were. And then maybe if you were to go back and build again, maybe what you might try to do differently or you might, you know, you might kind of like to do if you were to build another Sonics. So go ahead, Gary. Well, as I kind of mentioned, I I'd already kind of picked the AeroV. And the reason I had done the AeroV is I was trying to compare uh, the power to weight ratios to the malls that I have a pretty good idea. The mall that I had had the, had the baby like combing the O320 in there. So it was only 160 horsepower. And it was about 1,200 pounds, and so 160 horsepower. So, you know, I'm looking at the Sonics, and it's about 600 pounds and about 80 horsepower. So you kind of see where my mathematics were going here a little bit. Um, I have to say it didn't actually quite work out quite that well. Uh, the wing plan form was, of course, certainly different. The, the mall was a real heavy-duty lifter. Uh, and so I had a little bit more difficulty uh, lifting what I wanted to in the Sonics, and, and so much so that with the AeroV engine, uh, after taking about two passengers or maybe three passenger flights up, uh, the last one, when I got up to pattern altitude, I, I felt like the power reserve was so marginal, I just kind of quietly went back to the to the, to the the airport. I didn't really say why. I just said, we just need to kind of return. And when I got down, then I told my, my, my wife, and yeah, I just didn't feel comfortable having a, the power margin that I had at the time. And this was in the summertime and I had dual sticks in there, you know, and I was, it was all really kind of souped up pretty nice. And so after I finally determined that with my density altitudes that I knew I was going to have to operate, I yanked out the dual sticks and put a single stick in there. 
so I could be like you, Jeff, and pretend that I was flying a fighter. And it was a great, I still like the idea as a single seat, uh, big Bubba, one person airplane for the Sonics. I think it's a great way to fly it. If you want to put two people, you can still do it. Uh, it's an easy stretch to reach the outside rudder pedals on each side. Um, <clears throat> I found it a joy when I went cross country because, you know, we need we need all the room we can get in a Sonic. So sitting single seat, I can, you know, put little packs on either side of me, which doubles as armrests and comforts and, you know, throw all the stuff in the back and, and just kind of tool along. Um, I really like I really like the economics. Uh, John was absolutely right. Typically, uh, at my my cruise power settings, I was burning 3.2, 3.3 gallons per hour at 130 miles an hour true airspeed. Um, so I was I was more than happy with that. Uh, I'm sure it took me a little bit longer, but with the longer legs, I mean, it, it was about equivalent time. You know, trying to race against you guys or your jabberoos by the time you made an extra fuel stop. So that worked out pretty well. Um, I did have trouble with it. Uh, I had a bearing issue that uh, forced me to rebuild the engine and I ended up doing a, my own kind of hybrid between a great planes with that big beefy fourth bearing up front, uh, which I thought might support uh, my aerobatic tendencies a little bit better. And so, and, but I used all the, the accessory cases uh, from AeroV to run uh, the ignition systems. Uh, so it was really different actually. Um, Steve from from Great Plains before he passed. So I was told him what I was doing. He basically actually had a prop hub specially machined for me so I could use all of my uh, uh, Prince props that I had for the Airbnb. And so that was a great deal, too. So that was really work. And I got to say that uh, I put another 350 hours on that particular engine when I sold it to uh, Brad. He put about another 300 hours on there. Uh, so this plane was, you know, getting pretty close to a thousand hours by the time he just sold it this last week. And it headed down to uh, New Mexico. Um, if I were going to re-engine now, uh, you know, living here in, in these high mountain air that we do up here in Colorado, um, a Jabber would be a great way to go. You know, having a lot of uh, a couple hundred hours now experience in the FADAC UL power engine that I have in my Zenith. Uh, it's just a sweet engine. It's very smooth. And I can see why some of these guys are starting to stuff these UL powers into a Sonics. Sure, it's a little bit more money, but I got to tell you, uh, these FADAC engines would be really sweet in there and it would be just sim- make things so much more simplistic. As we all know, we, we've heard discussions about the AeroV carbs and uh, some people seem to have no trouble. Some people have a lot of trouble and some of us were kind of in between and I actually had to replace one myself when I started having a little bit of difficulty. Um, but, uh, you know, with the, with these FADAC engines, it's just, you know, hit the fuel pump and, and turn the key and off you go. So they're, they're a sweet little engine to do it. And you could seriously think about putting one of these on a Sonics now and, and probably have a nice little speed demon. Yeah. Okay, cool. John, how about you? Well, you know, let's go down that path. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> the kit I bought was, um, it was partially built and it, it was built for, it came with the AeroV uh, mount. And when I went back to Sonics, you know, during that, the, uh, my initial uh, air venture uh, investigation, Jeremy was toying with, and they were actually displaying the AeroV Turbo. And I thought, that's what I want. I love the idea of a Volkswagen engine because I built uh, several Volkswagen 
uh, cars before, and I was comfortable with the engine. And the turbo said that at my density altitude, I'd get power out of it. It wasn't available at the time. And during the build, I kept communicating with Jeremy, you know, when when is this going to be released? When's it going to be released? And when I went back for the for a, uh, a builder's clinic, Jeremy pulled me aside and he goes, it's, it's not ready for you. You need to go with the Jabiru. And so I decided to go, okay, I'm switching. So I bought a Jabiru engine and I bought a Jabiru mount from Sonics and uh, converted to what I have now. And I don't, the Jabiru is great. I mean, 120 horsepower, Gary will know. Um, we, we love to rub it in his nose and we flew with him that, you know, we're really having to pull this thing back, uh, to stay with Gary and we're burning the same fuel rate that Gary is burning, but you know, we're going really slow and we really want to go fast. And so that was, you know, the, that was the big thing. Now, Gary, definitely. Yeah. You can go, you have longer legs with that low fuel burn and uh but we can get there quicker and so we'll, but we have to do more stops so, so you don't actually get there quicker <laughs> no but we feel like we do <laughs> you feel so better getting there charge off <laughs> we go charge can. off at 170 miles an hour and you know we get three stops ahead of you and then you know we we get get get, get you on the radio and you're like god damn it he's he didn't Stop! And he's he's not that far behind us. He's chewing <laughs> on your tail. He's coming. Damn up. it! He's, yeah, or or you would you, you'd be scud running and getting into the into Oshkosh. That was that one year that we all kind of took off together. You you launched out of uh, out of Metro. Uh, Mike and I launched out of Metal Lake, and about the same time, and we ran into the weather, and Mike and I ended up weathering out in Illinois and you just you know work your way through underneath all the clouds into Oshkosh that night well when you fly so slow you have time to look around <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was the thing and you know we're we're just you know balls to the walls and going you know a funny and, little uh, story too I had a CFI come up to me at the airport the other day yes this weekend and he was asking me about my Zenith because he's been asked to ferry one with a pilot that's buying one at the east coast and coming back and he said, he wanted to know, you know, if there's anything peculiar or particulars to know about. And we started talking about speeds. And I was starting to give him some speeds. And he was trying to convert that into knots. And <laughs> he was wondering why, why we were doing that. I says, it's just psychological first aid. Because of the speeds we fly, we just cannot stand to have a knot indicator on an airspeed versus a mile per hour. It just looks so much more comforting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 170 looks so much faster. Yeah, then 135. Well, for me, it's my own private little revolt because uh, I think knots uh, are, are an outdated thing that we ought to just drop it all together. We can't even make our mind up whether we measure in statute miles or nautical miles. We got all these rules. If you're doing one, you got to use statute. If you're doing the other, you got to use nautical. I say we just cut it all, switch over to kilometers, and call it good. Yeah, they should do something. You know, make us. <laughs> Standard because there is there's even in the airspaces it can be vary between knots and, and nautical miles. And yeah, well, miles. you know the FAA. You know if you if you if you see a mile, you know that's a statute mile. But if you measure a mile, that's a that's a nautical mile. So it's like your cloud clearances yeah. are in statute and your and your distance rings are in nautical. It's like who came up with that idea? 
Yeah. Gary, I remember, I distinctly remember a flight where we went down to Meadow Lake. You and me, uh, we met up with Carl in our three Sonics, and we did a low, slow flight up uh, the uh, Arkansas River Valley. And you were yanking and banking and leading us. And I ended up going, I can't do this with Gary because he is, he's going to go underneath power lines and crap. (laughs) And I am not comfortable with this. Carl's on my tail going, Jesus, I can't believe we're doing this kind of thing. And, you know, we we pull off. I don't know if it was you or Carl. (laughs) It was, I was getting nauseous. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I called out and said, no, I'm, I'm getting nauseous. And we ended up in, in, in like Lamar or, uh, yeah, La, I think we, we ended up in Lamar and, and Carol was blowing oil and you yeah. were just giggling about, you know, <laughs> how much fun you were having. And, and I'm nauseous and Carol's blowing oil and you're just happy as a clam. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, it was a good flight. I liked going a lot. John, um, you know, you had your tri gear and then you convert it to the tail dragger. Um, what's your thought on that? You know, people always ask this question: Should I get a Jabru or an Aravi? Should I get a tri gear or a tail dragger? Well, you've you've got pretty much the oh. whole spectrum covered. So, I do, I do. Um, the reason I want tri gear was my buddy in the RV that I went back to Oshkosh with. Um, I really respected. He had built his own airplane. He built an RV seven A. No striker. And I said, why didn't you build this and not the tail dragger? The tail dragger is cool. And he goes, I fly into high wind airports all over the world or all over the United States. And um, I'm not, I'm not going to do a tail dragger. And he goes, you need to build a tri-gear. And so I took his advice and I said, okay, I'm going to build a tri-gear. I built it. I flew it about 65 hours. And I said, this is the ugliest um, Sonics because it had the Jabiru, which meant that it had the offset nose wheel. It was not stable. I didn't think it was wobbly on its tri-gear. And I really wanted to be a tail dragger guy. I thought tail dragger guys were cooler. Um, You know, I met Gary. Gary was tail dragger, and he's cool. So I need to be cool. (laughs) And... uh, all I need to do is swap out the engine mount and, you know, do a few little modifications. And, hey, I'm a tail dragger guy, right? Almost. Well, I was almost. <laughs> so <laughs> I did that, got my tailwheel endorsement, started flying my Sonics as a tail dragger. Now I uh, I fly a Pawnee uh, tail dragger, which is the most challenging tail dragger I've driven. Um you know, I fly gliders that are tail draggers, and uh, I'm I'm glad I'm a tail dragger guy. Yeah, I, I like mine. I don't have a lot of time in tri gear Sonics, but um, I I really like the the handling of the Sonics and the tail dragger. You know, we we talk about it's an it's the easiest tail dragger you'll ever fly. I tell people all the time, if you are not currently uh, good on tail dragger go get it in whatever you can find locally go get a champ or a decathlon or whatever whatever you can find and by the time your instructor signs you off you're ready to transition over to sonics all that is true but at the end of the day it's just it's a lot of fun and it's a relatively low stress environment and you know when you're flying a champ or something like that you kind of got that you know you the hair in the back of your neck stands up on final it's like okay it's time to wake up i gotta make sure i don't screw this up that doesn't happen very often in a sonics Oh, God, no. 
No, the Sonics is is by far the easiest trail dragger I drive. Um, and I, like I said, I, I fly a, a PA twenty five Pawnee, which has the swiveling tailwheel. Um, it is it really susceptible for ground looping and stuff, and it it is a lot more fun to fly than the Sonics because it's more challenge. The Sonics is just so docile. It, it it's not really like flying a tailwheel and it looks so much better as a tailwheel plane yeah yeah it does the stance so you know it sits nose high and that just gives it a great look yeah well my first sonics uh i built dual stick tail dragger aero v and i flew that for a couple hundred hours uh decided that i wanted just i wanted the performance of a jabiru uh there was nothing wrong with my aero v it was flying pretty good i had some teething problems early on where i I think I created some of my own difficulties and kind of learning the hard way on what not to do. But I got that all sorted out. The engine was running great. And I just decided, hey, I'm going to find a used Jabiru and, and I'm going to go for the more power. And so that's what I did. I pulled the whole firewall forward off. I sold it to another builder. I bought a used Jabiru. And I flew that for another year or so uh, on that airplane until I had my my incident that, uh, you know, the plane got destroyed. And after stepping away from sonics and fixed wing flying for a little while i thought i'm just going to give myself a little bit of space maybe do something a little different uh did some other stuff power paragliding and some things like that i, I started missing it I, I wanted a building project and so i was really thinking maybe i'll just buy a a flying rv maybe i'll i'll get an rv6 and just go fly it and i got to thinking you know as much as fun as that would be I really want to build, you know, I, I really super enjoyed the building process and, and that's what I wanted to do again. And so I started refreshing the builder search and decided, you know, my mission hasn't really changed. So I'm going to build another Sonic. So this time I just built it right from the get go with a, with the Jabiru engine, but I did the same thing, tail dragger, dual stick, both those were just wonderful. You know, my kids were getting older and, and I specifically wanted something that I could fly with them and I wanted them to be able to control the airplane with me. So on number two, I put the center controls in and I made a few modifications to the plans just for convenience. So my current Sonics has the center flap and center brake and I put uh, Great Plains hydraulic brakes in it. They work really well. I have um, the two position flap lever in the middle and it's just working great. I've got, well, I'm coming up on 400 hours now on, on the Jabiru. It's been very trouble-free. Um, nothing really to speak of. I just pulled out my borescope just this last past weekend and peeked down inside all the cylinders, and it just it looks perfect inside. So I can't complain about how the Jabiru is running. And the thing I like the best about the Jabiru is what, what I like to call just its effortless performance. If you want to take a 230-pound you know, person up for their first flight, come on in, you know, climb in. If you have a full tank of fuel and it's getting kind of warm out, you know, and density altitude is starting to creep up, probably, probably ought to run the numbers, but probably you're going to be just fine. And if you want to, um, you know, you want to fly to Oshkosh and Isaac and I want to load the plane up with camping gear and the two of us go, again, I got all the performance I need to go do all that. So when people ask for a recommendation, I summarize the Aero V versus Jabiru by saying, if you're going to fly mostly on your own and uh, you're only going to take an occasional passenger, maybe do a Young Eagle flight or something like that, the AeroV will probably be just fine for you. And if you are routinely going to fly with a passenger and you're going to have a variety of 
people that you're going to fly with, you know, big passengers, small passengers, and you don't want to worry about what the particulars of the day and how much gas you got and all that, then go for the bigger engine. You won't have to worry about it. And that's pretty, pretty much as simple as I can make it. Yeah, I pretty much agree. You know, Airview is great. When I took it down to sea level environments, I was always surprised by how much power it actually seemed to have compared to what I was used to up here. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I would not recommend an Aero V uh, if you're routinely you're going to carry uh, two people, uh, or especially if you're going to try to do operations above about 5,000 feet density altitude routinely. I think you'd be much happier with something like the uh, the Jabber or the UL or even the Rotaxes and get a little bit more ponies out of it. Well, yeah, if you have the coin to get a UL, I think that's even a better option than the Jabber. Yeah, and I, I when I was making the decision to buy my engine, uh, I was very close to buying that UL engine for the Sonics. But at the time, there was no mount. Uh, there was we believed that it would have fit right on the Jabiru mount, but maybe it did. Maybe maybe it needed to be modified. And then cowling and installation and all those things you got to figure out to be the first one. And I ultimately decided, you know, I don't want to do any of that. I don't want to figure all that stuff out. I want to be able to have a proven roadmap, and I want to fly with the kids, and I haven't got time to, to mess around with a custom installation. So that's why I went with the Jabiru. And I have not regretted it. Yeah, I think that's important, especially if it's if it's your first bill. Uh, yeah, as we've discussed on many, many podcasts, if you start trying to deviate from the plans, it can just exponentially increase your build time. So. Yeah, for those who are first-time builders or thinking about it, you know, you know, stick with something that you're going to get a lot of support for. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm thinking about the podcast and uh, kind of, you know, the early days and the start of when this thing got going. And so just backing up a little bit, back before episode one, I, I had this idea that we end up just kind of sitting around at, at, around the hangar and talking about techniques and how did you do this and what should I do on that? And there's a lot of hangar flying going on where we're sharing our experiences amongst ourselves. And that was great for all of us that got together and, and BS'd. But when new people came in, they had all the same questions. And it's like, man, we're, we're having these conversations, you know, one at a time, but we're doing the same thing over and over again. Wouldn't it be great if we could have some way to gather up all this information and share it with everybody who, who seems to want it? And that's really the, the only idea that, that morphed into the full Sonics Flight podcast. How do we take the best information and bring people in that have firsthand experience and success doing this stuff and start sharing the information? And so I'm just really, really pleased that you guys were interested and on board with uh, helping, helping kick this off. I think it's been a ton of fun, and it's been hugely beneficial for a lot of people. So I want to say, Gary and John, thanks for, you know, for sticking your necks out with me and, and doing it. I, I haven't regretted it at all. I hope you guys have found it fun, too. Well, Jeff, oh, my, Jeff my I, <laughs> I got to give you this little proverb first. My wife grew up in the Soviet era. And they had a little saying basically says, uh, beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> so, you know, it was after you finally, you know, hit me enough with the rubber hoses to convince me to do this. We kind of knuckled in. And <laughs> so I wore you down. Uh, hey, I'll take it. That's a win. Hey, Jeff, I remember the genesis of this podcast was we were standing in the Sonics uh, area. During the air show at an air venture, I don't remember what year it was, but you came up and you said it was after like our, our the, the Sonics uh, Association meeting. And 
you came up to me and you go, we need to try to do a podcast. And I said, what's a podcast? And you said, it's, you know, we're going to record a, uh, like a campfire discussion of Sonic stuff. And we discussed, okay, how do we do this? And how do we frame it? And how do we make it interesting? And how do we keep it from getting uh, political or, you know, do we want to keep it, uh, do we want to become, you know, basically a advertising venue for Sonics or do we want to become uh, an antagonistic uh, organization for Sonics or do we just want to be this venue for, for building aircraft and, and a, uh, a forum for people to come in and say, this is how we do things. And I know that when we talked about it, we said, we got to keep it positive. We have to make sure that, yeah, we can criticize the Sonics brand. We can criticize the way they've done things, but let's keep it up and up that we're positive. We want to promote. We don't want to tear down. And I think that was the key to building this, uh, this podcast was to say, we are here. There are issues. We can deal with these. This is why we like doing this. And we're going to bring in experts to tell us how to do things. And I think we've done that. You know, I, I keep looking back at Bob Knuckles. We bring him in, man, anybody with an RV, with a, you know, a, a, any kind of an experimental aircraft, if they listen to a Bob Knuckles podcast of ours, they're going to come back with something that they never had. And wow, that, that means we made a hit. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting think, thinking back to the early days, you know, it, there, there was a lot of that, you know, how are we going to coexist? What is our relationship with the factory going to be? And you're right. The key was we can't, we can't become just a, a fanboy for Sonics. That's not, that's not going to work. And frankly, none of us want that role anyway. So we got to be able to call it like we see it, but we got to do it in a supportive way. And if we disagree with Sonics, and there have been things we've disagreed with them over, we got to be able to say, here's what we think. Here's our rationale behind it. Here's our suggestion for improvement. And let's keep it positive and, and working towards a, you know, a, a better outcome and not just mudslinging. And I think we've done that. No, I agree. I think, uh, you know, we've had some difficulties. We had uh, John Manet on one, I think, one episode, um, which was pretty good. Um, but there was some forum talk that chased him off in the second episode. And, you know, he, I understand his, uh, you know, rejection of uh, trying to support us. But we're not slamming him. We're just saying, yeah, we understand what your issues are. But uh, we'd love to come back. Yeah, and we, we kind of exist with a, a bit of a tension with the factory. And, and tension is kind of a guarded word. We get along with these guys. We like to catch up with them at Oshkosh and see how things are going. But they're very aware that, you know, they may have to live with the unintended consequences of what we talk about on the podcast. And rightfully so, that makes them a little nervous. So I try to keep that in mind. I try to give them the benefit of the doubt and extend them the courtesy to respond to things. Well, why don't we discuss what uh, impact that pod or listeners of our podcast have had on us. Um, two weeks ago, Paul Vetter from uh, Gillette, Wyoming, 
had made contact with us after our podcast with the B model builder on wing rigging. And I had mentioned that I'm close to wing rigging and I liked his idea that we build this. If you can rig the wings while it's still on its stands and on a, on sawhorses without the firewall forward, how much easier it is. And I said, I I'm at that point and I'm going to do that. Paul contacted you, Jeff, and said, I need to contact John. Um, I'm in Gillette, Wyoming. It's, you know, eight hours drive to his house or to where he is. But I am at that point and I want to be involved in his wing rigging. Two weeks ago, Paul showed up. We rigged my wings while Paul was there. He got a really good experience on what you have to do. The entire process of leveling and measuring, and actually, he he actually was very valuable. He goes, we're not, you know, I, I was trying to force fit something, and he goes, no, you need to call Carrie and find out, is this right, before we drill these holes? And, then, and it's like, yeah, I know, but I want to get it rigged. I mean, this is what we're here for. He goes, no, let's just step, step back. So it was a very valuable uh, experience to have another Sonics builder who's less experienced than me, because I've rigged three wings now, um, come in and, and give me a little bit of a, uh, you know, it's what I normally typically uh, relay on Gary, who was lazy and didn't come down, he was offline, um, to to do for me. Yeah, John, you're absolutely right. And there is a tremendous amount of value in just you know, getting together with a fellow builder and a Sonics builder is even better because you share that in common, but builders in general can do the same role and getting an outside perspective, another set of eyes. Um, uh, they can be the voice in the back of your head that says, maybe that's not quite right. Maybe I need to take a second look at that. And they, they can help you identify those gaps in your own thinking. And it, it enhances your experience. You reach out, you make these connections, and it becomes much more fun and interesting and fulfilling. It's easy to get very tunnel vision sometimes in our projects, so it can be very beneficial to have someone. And sometimes, even if they're not an experienced builder, they'll just come in and they'll have just a different, they'll just ask a question because they don't understand. And that could say, spark something in your brain saying, well, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe I need to look at this thing a little bit differently even. Yeah, I've met so many people that have just been listening to the podcast and asked questions and given feedback and and just been supportive. But it has become a way to reach out and engage and connect with other builders. And I really enjoy that. You know, that was not the idea. The idea was really to try to give something to the Sonics community at large to support it and grow it and enhance it and, and improve safety and all those things. But I feel like I've gotten a, a lot in return and I've really enjoyed that. I, I never really expected that. Well, no, we, we've become, I don't say superstars, but um, a year ago I did the Jabiru clinic, uh, lo uh, the, the local Colorado Jabiru clinic where um, Jabiru came out and gave, you know, uh, the engine seminar for the weekend. And I was late. I showed up late and I, I ended up in the back of the room and they they were going through introductions of you know what what what's your build what are you here for all this and by the end you know I'm I'm at the end 
And so I said, my name is John Gillis. And two guys, their, their heads snapped around and said, you're the Sonics guy, the, the, the podcast guy. And I said, yeah. Oh, I want to talk to you because we've been listening to you on the, uh, the, the forum. And so you become kind of a superstar. And I kind of like that. I mean, it's like, it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, favorite podcast, guys. Gary, what's your favorite? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I hadn't even thought about that one in, in particular. Uh, I, I agree, even though I've not always agreed with everything, but I really like the electrical stuff. You know, I have to say that the first Sonics that I built, I, I think the electrical work, although it, it worked, I think it was is fairly shoddy in comparison to what I know now. But that's just kind of way it goes. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, we're not birds, and we don't have all the stuff imprinted on our brains at birth. Uh, it, it, nothing's intuitive. It takes a lot of trial and error and reading and working and, and looking and asking questions and trying to learn things. And, you know, I continue to learn, learn more and more and more, but I particularly have enjoyed the, the electrical stuff. Uh, it was pretty scary stuff, but, you know, basically, as we know now, it's just, you got to get one wire that gets power to it and you got to get one wire that gets ground to it. And, you know, if you can get pretty much that thing pretty much figured out, most of the rest of the stuff's going to fall in line. But, some 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 ways of doing that is much prettier looking than other ways, and I mean, first Sonics wasn't all that pretty. Yeah, and that's a skill that you'll continue to develop. The more you practice it, the better you'll get. Yeah, I have this problem yeah. where I look at sport aviation, and they've got this you know gorgeous airplane, and they're right up on it, and they're talking about all the little custom touches, and I think, oh man, you know that that's the standard by which you know we all should be producing our airplanes. But, you know, there's a reason why this guy is being singled out and shown off because it really is impeccable. And I, uh, I sometimes lose sight of the fact that, you know, that, that is part of the goal is to get to that point. Don't necessarily beat myself up because I'm not already there. I just got to keep striving. Well, I've never considered myself being artistic, so more technical sided. So that, that, that side will probably always suffer a little bit on my aircraft is not, not having the artistic capability to do some of those nuances that these guys do. No, Gary, your 750 is a piece of piece of art. It's beautiful in its way. Thanks. Buddy. I mean, it's, it's an ugly duckling because it's a 750, but it's the most beautiful ugly duckling I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's staying, it's staying in the, in the Sonics family of, of looks though. Very utilitarian. It has its own beauty because it's so functional. It is yes. absolutely functional, and it is absolutely perfectly executed. I, I flew Gary's plane, and I'm like, wow, this is – if I'm going to fly a 750, I want to fly Gary's. It's pretty smooth, isn't it? Oh, it's sweet. I'm going to have to fly yours, Gary, because I've flown 701s, and um, they were a little clunky, honestly. The 750 is probably much more refined. No. No, his 750 is the Cirrus of 750s. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, you just feel like you're, you're just wrapped in this envelope of perfection. <laughs> All right. I John, can feel that's going to cost me a lot of beers later. Right. <laughs> no, I want to fly a 750 again. That's all I'm doing. Well, anytime. Come on up. No, come down. I live in an yeah, airport. Yeah. John, what do you think? Uh, what, what, do you, what do you like as far as the pet episodes we've covered? I th looking back, I think the two, my, my well, it's hard to say because we've had Knuckles on a couple of times. 
I've gotten the most out of Carrie doing the aerocarb explanation and, uh, you know, demystification of it. Um, I thought that was an extremely valuable episode. Uh, and every Bob Knuckles episode we've had, um, the guy can explain the nuances and the mystery of electrical systems. I think those two things, they should go into the uh, EAA Hall of Fame for <laughs> podcasts. And if anybody listens to them, they'll, they'll come back a better person. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't recommend the Aero Electric Connection enough because it really is, you know, it's 40 years worth of his hands-on experience. I mean, there's a ton of information condensed in that book. You read that, that's an excellent foundation. It may not all make sense right away, but but it really is a wonderful resource. And even It's him, just so practical. Admitted that, you know, it's always a work in progress that, you know, his thought processes back then are not necessarily the same as they are now. Yeah. Uh, so things continue to evolve with the electronics. Yeah. Well, I like uh, John Corneille in the Subsonics episode. Uh, it's cool that he, you know, he he has the Subsonics, and I'm really intrigued by that myself. But what I liked about it is here's a guy who just really felt strongly and had this passion to go build this particular airplane to fill this niche that he wanted, and he just did it. He just figured out how to make it all happen, and he went after it, and he did it. I find that really inspiring. There's a lot of things that I want to do, and I try to remind myself. You know, the, the future is never guaranteed, so don't delay doing the fun stuff until later. Try to find a way to do it earlier. And John is an inspiration for me to, to do that. Do what you want to do and do it now. Yep, that's always good advice. Well, and I always want to have a shout I want to have a shout out to our, our good buddies Carl and uh, and Mike Nienthal. These guys are just super uh, advocates to what we're trying to do. And we bring them in just to give us a fresh opinion about everything we're doing. Yeah. And, you know, now that Mike has, uh, you know, moved off to Vegas, um, I think he's going through a bit of withdrawal. So we're going to have to get him back on here next time and, and give him some harassment, make him feel some love. Well, he listens to every episode. He <laughs> texts me every, every time you post, he goes, you guys didn't mention me, but we're trying. So I, that that's your call out, Mike. Well, actually, while we're mentioning, I know we're going to get off topic here, but actually I, I've been thinking about Mike specifically too because I do have an idea for a future podcast I need to talk to you about when we get uh, an opportunity. Okay, that sounds good. And I think I, I think we need the likes uh, of Mike uh, to help us with this particular one. All right. Is this about MCAS? No. <laughs> It's it's SCAS for Sonics, you know. No, it's because he's a he's a, a commercial airline pilot. We want somebody that that's that's in that realm yeah. for what I'm thinking about. All right, yeah, yeah. You know, we we've done a lot of episodes where we've heard from individual builders on their experience. Uh, Lou Pappas with his B model. Um, we've heard uh, some of our international builders, you know, in Australia and New Zealand and and the UK, you know, these are people all over the world. And, and I find it really fascinating to get a peek in their window. You know, what, what does flying in, in Australia look like? And we talked to Peter Anson and he, he gives us a, a great understanding and, and, you know, cool things like the motor gliders and who's actually flying them and how are they enjoying them? You know, it's a chance to really kind of see things through their eyes. So I've really enjoyed talking to a huge variety of builders all over the world. 
That's been so yeah, I really awesome. enjoy those as well. Uh-huh. I like the international ones as well. Yeah. And then uh, I found it very satisfying. A lot of these tech tips, you know, there are things that builders historically struggle with engine cooling and carb setup and, you know, making sure their fuel systems are running reliably and just stuff like that, wing rigging. And we're going to get the rest of our dirty dozen list crossed off here. But these are things that we can definitely share some some tips and best practices. And I find that um, really fun to be able to do that and try to present it in a way that's going to help people out. All right. Well, um, let's wrap up with what do we think the future is holding and maybe what are we looking forward to, whether that's goals and objectives or topics coming up or whatever. So, Gary, um, what are you looking forward to? Uh, well, some topics I'm, I'm generally thinking about, again, is one of my recent experiences with uh, primary flight display failures. Uh, since most of us or a lot of us are starting to fly all glass panels, I think that's a topic we really need to go into a little bit. Okay. Um, I'd like to talk. We've, we've heard discussions and we've seen this on the forums uh, several times uh, about the Sonics as an IFR platform. I think we can probably go through another another podcast on that topic as well and some thoughts about flying light sports uh, in the IFR environment, what it takes. Um, so that's two of the you know the more technical ones I'd like to kind of investigate with and bring in some more uh, outs- outside expertise. Yeah, those, those sound great. Okay, uh, John, how about you? What are, what's on your horizon? What are you looking forward to? Well, right now, my horizon is to get my plane uh, reassembled as a B model um, and ready for heading to Oshkosh in 2019. It's a pretty aggressive schedule. I'm expecting Gary to come down and help me wire. Uh, That's my biggest challenge is wiring all my avionics back into the aircraft. And I want to do it the right way, the way Gary has done it. So... Well, um, no, I mean, reach out and call me ahead of time so we can get all the tools together and get everything packed up. And I, sure we I, I think every weekend you need to be flying down here because you're <laughs> flying every weekend. Just put the toolkit in the Zenith. You got the space. You got this. You know, don't tell me you don't have the, the capacity and uh, just fly down here. I have Abgas here for you to fly home. And so okay. you're just going to do it. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you wired up. We can, we can get you looking pretty nice, I think. All right. Okay. Well, you know, John, uh, the gauntlet has been been thrown down, and so if you don't make it to Oshkosh, there's going to be Gary's like fault. there's going to be like one of those little body silhouette, you know, paintings at the campground. I, I, this I, is I where John's it, plane it, it, should be. John's plane should be here, less Gary, because he didn't. <laughs> well, John, fall I'll tell you what. If the weather, if, if we get coordinated and you're ready for it and the weather's still not good, you let me know and I'll still drive down. No, you won't drive down yes, because you're just, you're a crippled old man. You got to fly. <laughs> I knew he was going to insult me sometime or another during the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, you know, that, that was the second I thing he's looking forward to. You. you are a crippled old man. <laughs> you're just, I know, you're just being descriptive. <laughs> <laughs> He it's says it with true. love and affection. That's it's why he bought the true. Zenith because it's, uh, you know, he can get in it. You know, he can go right from the hover round right into the aircraft. That's <laughs> right. My hover round works great as an aircraft tug. You know, you've seen it. I have. <laughs> and I have a hover round here for you to climb out and back into the hover okay. round. So. All right. Okay. Okay. 
But we'll get it done. Just really to stay in touch. We'll bring all that stuff down. We'll crimp all up right. everything. Well, you got the Zena, so you can carry all that stuff down. Yeah. Leave it in the plane. Yeah. And uh, heat shrink the labeling wire uh, for wires and everything else. God, we got to do all that, too? Oh, absolutely. Oh. You're going to say it looks sweet, though. <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, just uh, helping Isaac finish up his plane. His project is coming along nicely. His panel is nearly done. Just some finishing touches. We're working on the canopy right now. So probably our, our canopy topic will will be ready in the next couple of months. John, you'll have your B-model canopy done, and I'll have Isaac's done, and uh, we'll be able to hit that up. And so that's, that's another one of those that probably before the end of the summer we'll be able to knock that topic out. That's part of that dirty dozen list of tech topics that you know I've been trying to chip away at. Ken from uh, Omaha came down this weekend and bought all of my old A-model parts. So he oh, got right. my canopy, my, my windscreen, um, all of my weldments, everything that doesn't fit in my new plane, uh-huh. he bought. Yeah. Good. At least it went to a good home. Well, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, it's going to end up in a flying aircraft. So, Yeah. Well, I'm also looking forward to Oshkosh this year. Uh, get a chance to see everybody again and hang out and uh, go, uh, <laughs> I don't know, just um, there's something about Oshkosh. And, and I, well, I guess we'll talk about this when we do our pre-Oshkosh show. There's just something about it. I just, you know, as we get closer and closer, this this level of excitement and anticipation starts to rise. And I'm already looking forward to it. So it'll be a good chance to get back and see everybody again. And even if I don't get my airplane running, I'll I may fly in the backseat of a Nanchang or a Zenith. I don't yeah, know. That, that's right. There'll be plenty of people going that way. And then uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, some of our uh, our Subsonics friends out flying theirs. You know, Ken Holra's flying his in Oklahoma, and John Murphy in St. Louis. You know, those guys are relatively close to me, and I need to go and go harass them and live vicariously through them and their jets. Sniff some kerosene. Yep, that's right. I, you know, I just want to, I guess I want to kind of just close off with a final thought. I appreciate, John, Gary, I appreciate that you guys have been willing to invest the time and the effort because there are times where it's hard to work these in because we got things going on. We got day jobs, we got, you know, our, our other responsibilities going on and we got to find time. We got to really, we got to carve out time to do this. So I appreciate the fact that you have routinely made that time available and, and help, you know, really keep this fresh and fun and interesting. I, I absolutely would not do it without you guys. And I really do appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. It's much better than the rubber hoses. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, and uh, the the last thing I just want to talk about is um, just a, a final pitch, I guess, for the Firewall Forge seminar. This is an extension of the topics that we've covered in the podcast. This was really popular when I did it last time. It It's just a chance to take all this information that we've talked about through the last two and a half years and really put it into practice in a really hands-on, intensive very personalized way. So we, we take a lot of this information, this best practices, and we just help new builders go through it. So the next one is coming up again here in Kansas City. It's going to be in early June. You can find all the details on the website. And if you think you're coming up on that point and you want to just have somebody to 
to look at a, a flying airplane and go over this stuff in a very in-depth fashion. I've got a fairly extensive presentation that, that walks through each of these steps, and um, it's a good opportunity to do it. So send in a registration form, come on down to Kansas City, and, and, uh, and come to the seminar. So there's my final pitch on that. And if you have questions, shoot me an email. You can find our feedback email on the website, and we can talk about it more like that. John, uh, you got a lot of work to do. I, I know you'll get it done, but um, don't get behind because it's just like in construction management. If you're not really, if you're not really, um, you know, thinking that you're ahead of schedule, you're already behind. You just don't know it yet. So you got to get out in front of it. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely on schedule. I mean, I'm, I've, um, I've basically taken the last two weekends off, and I know that I can catch up. So, yeah. Uh, just a matter of, uh, I, I just need to get out there, start riveting, right? That's all That's it is. It. That's it. Yep. Good deal. Hey, uh, thanks again, guys. Uh, Gary, have a good flying weekend. Um, hopefully your weather will be good. Uh, mine's looking a little iffy, so we'll see how it turns out. Yeah. I'll keep my fingers and toes crossed. Well, come down Gary and, uh, and take a look at my, uh, wing rigging and, uh, readjust my uh, expectations and give me that feedback that I, you know I love. Yep, I can adjust your attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. He, he's licensed too. He's got, you know, he's got the needles, oh. he's got the rubber gloves, he's got everything he needs. And, and he knows just what pressure points to push. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, good to talk to you again and, and we'll talk again soon. See you soon. Bye. Views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Slight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic Slight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.